Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Tea and Murder, an Agatha Christie podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Tundy-Norman. Welcome back to our bonus listener question episode. This is part two. We had so many great questions that we decided to do another one. So I'm here with my producer, Kate Grishel. Hello. We also have our sound engineer, Winter Robinson, in the room. Hi. Kate is going to fire off the remaining listener questions to tide you over until season two. Thanks for listening. And thank you for your questions. Again, they were really great. They were so good. So in our first mini episode, we talked about uh, your favorite Agatha Christie's. And we also discussed whether we would repeat a book. Basically, if one guest requested to discuss a book that we'd already talked about, would we do it? And the answer was yes. But would you also consider doing film, TV and radio adaptations as well? This is such a good question because it illustrates like just how much Christie material is actually out there. It's endless. Um, I am open to speaking about more adaptations of all kinds, for sure. Um, in our episode with Michael Brown, we compared The Death on the Nile, the book, to the new Kenneth Branagh film. Um, we spoke quite a lot about the David Suchet ABC murders in the episode with former private investigator Ashley Norman. Uh, so there's definitely space for that. And I do uh, love talking about the adaptations, many of which are fantastic and you know that I, I really enjoy. I, I do think at a certain point with Christy, you have to kind of pick an angle um, and stick to it. Otherwise the possibilities just keep going. So it snowballs, it snowballs. So when it's relevant and it works with the episode, absolutely. Uh, but we are, I think for the most part going to stick with books for now. Mm-hmm. Also because our format is kind of part book club. Exactly. So we're having you guys read along with us and then we are talking about that book with the guests. Yeah. So I think it's a good format. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's working for us. And there is a great, a podcast called Agatha She Watched that is all about uh, Agatha Christie adaptations, uh, film, television, and so on. So I, I do recommend that very much. And that's a review podcast. That's a review podcast, correct. All those adaptations. Yeah. Yeah, that's also great. 
Um, so this next question switches gears a little bit and uh, tackles something that has brought some fire to the debate. Uh, without prefacing it too much more, what do you think about the changing of words in the books? Yeah. So I'll, yeah, I'll give a little bit of context here. Uh, recently, the Christie estate announced that they will be changing some words in future printings of the books that are considered offensive. Um, they have not, to my knowledge, released like which books or words specifically are going to be changed. Um, I think we could take a pretty good guess at, <laughs> at which they'll be, but we don't know exactly um, which ones it'll be at this time. Uh, so I know that this is a subject that people have a lot of big feelings about. And let me start by saying that I definitely see both sides of the argument. Like I understand conceptually why people don't like the idea of books being changed to fit the time that we're living in because um, most things don't age well. And film and literature and art have to be able to stand within their own time without trying, without us trying to change them to kind of fit anachronistically with our current time. Uh, that said, I will say up front that I have a really hard time getting like worked up about this. Um, I think that if they left the books as they are, that would be fine. Uh, we just have to deal with it and like talk about those offensive elements as a point of discussion as we continue reading the book, which we've been doing as part of this podcast. Um, and people would still continue buying and reading and adapting the books. You know, it's like no one that I'm aware of is organizing a boycott of Agatha Christie. So with that in mind, that I'm not like passionately for changing the books, I also have to say that I don't think it's a bad idea at all. I think it's a good idea um, for a number of reasons. So first, almost all of the offensive elements of Christie books uh, that I think that they would be changing. And again, I don't know exactly what they're changing, but all the ones that I would guess that they would change, um, which are mostly slurs, um, are not part of the plot or the character development in these books. They're typically not even said by a character. They're like said in third person narration. So um, they're truly non-essential. So we can kind of like remove them without any further changes to the book. And I think then that makes the book a lot more enjoyable and accessible for people who from historically marginalized groups who would be affected by those words. Um, and I'd say in terms of Christie's books, that would mostly be the black community and Jews. Um, and it allows us then to enjoy the books without having to wonder if there's like a random slur somewhere hidden on the next page. It, it completely um, takes you out of the moment. Yeah. And it, and just totally unnecessary. So do I think that most people from those historically marginalized groups are like so sensitive that they can't read a slur without freaking out and putting down the book? No, of course, I don't think that I that doesn't isn't how I react to those words. But from firsthand experience, I can definitely tell you that it's unpleasant. It's unnecessary. It takes you out of the book, as you said, and um, definitely an, like an unneeded part of the reading experience when it comes to Christie. <clears throat> so... I'm saying a lot. God. Uh, second, in one of our episodes, Christie's biographer, Laura Thompson, said uh, she's not Chekhov, which is a <laughs> quote I love. And, and that's right. Language has never been the thing when it comes to Christie. These are books about plot and character. They're popular fiction. Um, I don't think we should pretend that we're ruining some great work of literary art by changing words here. Uh, we need to have a little bit of nuance when it comes to discussing what it actually means to change books. Um, based on the actual book itself. Yeah, and it's not like this has never been done before. Correct. Um, and I'm going to get to that in one second. I just have one point before that. <laughs> um, yeah, I've heard people call this censorship. It's not. 
the Christie estate has made this choice on their own. No one's forcing them to do it. They will not be punished if they don't do it. They're doing it for commercial reasons. You can say they might be doing it for moral reasons as well, but I think for the most part, they're doing this so that more people can continue to read and enjoy Christie's work in the future. That's it. I, and I honestly think if you put that to Christie, she would make the same choice because she was commercially minded. Um, fourth, as Kate just noted, this has literally already happened. When And Then There Were None was published in 1939 under its original title, Ten Little N-Words. At that time, that was deemed too racist for the American market. And by the way, it wasn't only the title that was changed. It was the entire rhyme found throughout the book that is a plot device throughout the book. Um, so people are fine with that now because it's not being changed right under their noses. But ultimately, if you're okay with calling the book And Then There Were None instead of the original title, this is the exact same thing. Uh, <laughs> fifth, I just want to address the idea uh, that I see a lot of people saying like, those words were just, just more common back then. Uh, and I don't know if that's true, like statistically speaking, there's still a lot of racists and anti-Semites out there, but it's probably true that those words were used more publicly in an unchallenged way at that time. Um, that's not because those words weren't considered offensive at that time. It's because who actually had a public platform at that time and who would have had a voice in terms of literary and cultural criticism um, is different than it is today. Not that different, unfortunately, but still different. And when you say those words were more common back then, what you're actually saying is the people who those words were directed against did not have the social capital to push back when those words were being used. So I think let's just keep that in mind when we're just discussing the slurs themselves. Um, I promise you that Black people, Jews, Chinese people, all the groups that are would be included in this have always found slurs to be offensive. <laughs> Perhaps person to person, some people care more or less about particular language. That's certainly true in, across all different kinds of groups. But as communities, no one enjoys having slurs directed at them. Promise. Um, okay, so maybe I had more feelings about this than I originally thought. <laughs> um, again, if they left the books as they are, I would continue reading them. Um, and we would just continue having these conversations. But that's where I stand on it. And I really would like to hear more about this from listeners if, if people feel strongly. I know people do feel strongly. I'm not going to change my opinion on this, but I'm always open to people having different opinions. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we would love to hear from you. It is a dialogue. Mm -hmm. So let us know what you think. Uh, next listener question. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Let's like take it down about 25 notches. <laughs> I'm sweating. Yeah. Do you really think Christy writes for young people? <laughs> this was something that came up on a few episodes yeah. where sort of like a lot of our guests also mentioned that they started reading Christy as young adults yeah. uh, for young people. Yeah. And this is something we spoke specifically about with Robin Stevens, who is uh, an author for young adult fiction specifically. And she writes kind of Christy-esque um, murder mysteries, but specifically for young adults. Um, and that's a fabulous episode if, if people haven't heard that one yet. But um, no, she didn't write for young adults. She's, she, wrote for, she wrote for adults. Um, but I do think that because of the simplicity of her language, the brevity of the books, and the general like bloodlessness of the murders, um, you know, the murders are not really the focus and we kind of just hover over them and move on. They are suitable for younger people, not kids, but like young adults, maybe starting like 10, 11, 12, depending on the type of kid. Like I started reading them around 10, but I don't think every kid would be ready for that. Um, so it, you know, kids have different interests. They are 
at different levels with things. And I think absolutely younger people can read Christie and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you said on the episode with uh, Robin Stevens, which I loved, was that like some kids are weirdos. <laughs> yeah, we super are. Yeah. <laughs> so like give them a chance to explore that what they want to uh, engage with and yes. their curiosity, just you can enable that. But like there are, could be limits, right, based yeah. on how mature the content is. Absolutely. And I and I loved what Robin said in that episode as well, which is that um, the books are kind of, because you know they're going to be worked out, it's a safe place for kids to explore if they're interested in like murder mysteries or more gory stuff. It's a really safe first place to explore those kinds of things. Yep. Next question, which I mm-hmm. love. <laughs> yeah, me too. As a producer is, would you ever consider doing a live show? Yes. Woo! Yes. I would love to do a live show. I uh, We already have some ideas, actually. Um, nothing is confirmed yet, so I can't share anything else. But um, I hope that we will be having a live show very soon. And uh, to, to listeners, if you have ideas, please send them our way. We're always interested in hearing what you would be interested in seeing or um, being part of. We love collaborative input. Yeah. And if you have other live shows that you've heard mm-hmm. that you thought worked really successfully. Yeah. Send them on over. We'd love to get inspiration too, because we don't necessarily have to keep the exact same format. Right. That's the whole thing about a live show is like we can play a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And I've also seen podcasts do like Zoom live shows, and maybe that's something to explore as well. So I think there's a lot of ways we could do it. And yeah, I would love to hear from listeners about like what they're engaged with with live shows. Great. Mm-hmm. Okay, we are actually winding down, and we are at the last listener question that we've gotten for this season uh and i think this is a great one to end on because we can leave you hanging mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, until season two totally. but um in the meantime uh, before we come with season two what books about christy do you recommend so not christy books yes. themselves but what books about christy would you recommend and especially for newbies where should they get started yeah such a good question um obviously i think starting with Christie's autobiography, which she wrote or was published in 1977, so almost two years after she died, is a really good place to start just to get a sense of how she views herself. Um, She talks about not only her work as a writer, uh, but also her archaeological expeditions with her second husband, Max Malawan. Um, So I think that's a really fun read. And then I would also say um, The Complete Secret Notebooks by Dr. John Curran, who is on this podcast, is fantastic to get a sense of like her process. And um, he just does such a great job of laying out each book with its notes for you. Um, Agatha Christie and Mysterious Life by Laura Thompson, who is also a guest on this podcast, is a fantastic uh, biography that came out in 2007. And I think it was reissued in 2020. Um, and another biography, which just came out, I think last year in 2022 is Agatha Christie and elusive woman by Lucy Worsley. Um, I, I have this on my bookshelf with my, which my sister found for me at like a, one of those little free libraries that you find around town called Agatha Christie who's who by Randall toy. And it's like a little encyclopedia of all the Agatha Christie characters, (gasps) It's super fun. Um, I just love having it and kind of referencing it because Agatha Christie also often references who's who in her book. So it's kind of this fun play. Oh, it's like you um, have a little footnote. Exactly. Cool. So that's really fun. Um, it's very simple, but I think it's a nice kind of companion to have. And finally, I just read a really, really great novel called The Christie Affair by Nina de Gramont. And it is a novelization 
of the 11 days that Agatha Christie disappeared in, 20, in 1926. And um, it's told from the uh, perspective of Archie Christie, Agatha's first husband, his mistress. Um, and it's kind of interwoven with this story of what happened to a young unwed mother in Ireland um, in the period between the wars. So it's very, very fascinating and it's beautifully written. I was expecting kind of like a fun romp, the Christie affair, and it's actually a very beautiful, lyrical, intense novel. And I, I really recommend it. Um, and it paints a really lovely picture of Agatha Christie, actually, um, as more than just a writer, but as a, as a woman and as a kind of what it was like to have a personal relationship with her. Mm -hmm. Um, so I recommend that one. Just a, a quick follow-up question that I'm now curious about. Yeah. So we have this kind of universe around Christie about these books uh, about her life, mm -hmm. um, autobiographies, biographies, fictionalizations. How much is the Christie estate involved in like mm -hmm. giving input or approving or disapproving of works that are created about Christie's life? That's such a good question. And I, I mean, I honestly don't really know. I think... Um, I know that they are involved in like the biographical elements and I know that John Curran worked very closely with, with, um, like Christie's family. Um, when he, in fact, he was given access to the secret notebooks. Like he was the first person to have that access. Um, I think he even found them mm -hmm. if he, he told the story on the podcast. Yeah. Where he kind of like saw them in a room and was like, Ooh, could I take, <laughs> take a little peek? Um, so I, I do think they are very involved um, you know, it's not just, it's not called the Agatha Christie estate, it's Agatha Christie limited, uh, which mm. is like a, you know, an actual parent company, I think that deals with like film rights and reprinting books and all these types of things. So I think it's quite a, there's a lot of moving parts I would imagine. Um, but, uh, I think they are quite involved in kind of ensuring that her work continues to be seen, published, adapted in the public eye, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really thankful that they are so involved, actually, yeah. because it creates so much more for us to digest. Yes. And they're really good also at kind of like the accoutrement of, mm -hmm. of Agatha Christie, which is you can go on the Agatha Christie website and there's like puzzles you can buy and uh, like all kinds of fun Agatha Christie stuff because there is such a fandom around her. Um, I have an Agatha Christie mug that I use every single morning that my sister gave me and just things like that. I think when you are into the fandom of her, it's kind of fun to, you know, get a little nerdy with it and be involved yeah. in that way. It makes you feel really connected. Totally. Yeah. That was our last question from our listeners. Yeah. You're going to have a little bit of crickets in your podcast feed, but then we'll be back. Yeah. Go back and listen to your favorite episode. Get yourself ready for season two. And uh, we are so, so grateful for all the listeners for sending in the questions. And thank you, Kate, for being here to go through them with me. And thanks to Winter for being here, too. Yeah. Thanks so much. And um, season two will be out this fall. That's so right. we can't give you an exact date. But uh, until then, have a really lovely summer. Thanks. Thank you to our producer, Kate Chrishell, and our sound engineer, Winter Robinson. If you want to support this podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at Tea and Murder. You can rate and review us on iTunes, and you can tell all your friends and even strangers to follow us on your podcast platform of choice. I will say that reviewing us really, really helps. So if you could leave a review and say what you like about the podcast, we would really appreciate it. 
Uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of Tea and Murder. We hope you had a bracing dose of both. Mm-hmm.